Welcome to Misty 101 podcast. We hope that you enjoy this episode of our podcast. Ukraine is bracing itself for a hard battle to come as Russian forces continue amassing in the east of the country, with officials urging civilians to flee. While the threat to the capital Kyiv has receded, it is rising in the east, President Volodymyr Zelensky warned. This will be a hard battle. We believe in this fight and our victory. We are ready to simultaneously fight and look for diplomatic ways to put an end to this war, he said. Officials have urged civilians to flee the region immediately. Mr. Zelensky's comments came following a meeting with Austrian Chancellor Karl Nehammer in Kyiv, where he also hosted UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson on Saturday. UK to send 120 armoured vehicles and anti-ship missile systems to Kyiv. Western and Ukrainian intelligence indicates Russian forces are moving south and east. Russians using improvised explosive devices to damage morale in Ukraine, says British MOD. Hasty withdrawal from Kyiv region saw Russians abandon tanks, vehicles, and artillery. Five children confirmed among the dead in Friday's railway station blast in Kramatorsk. The UK Military of Defence has said Russia's departure from the north leaves behind evidence of disproportionate targeting of innocent civilians, the use of hostages as human shields, and the discovery of mass graves. Russian forces continue to use IEDs to inflict casualties, lower morale, and restrict Ukrainian freedom of movement, the mod said. Russian forces also continue to attack infrastructure targets with a high risk of collateral harm to civilians, including a nitrate acid tank at Rubijny. The mod's latest update came as Mr. Johnson carried out his visit to Kyiv, where he confirmed the UK would provide fresh military aid as outlined by the Defence Secretary on Friday. The UK will send 120 armoured vehicles and anti-ship missile systems and guaranteed a further £500 million in World Bank lending to Ukraine, subject to parliamentary approval. Earlier, the Ukrainian parliament tweeted, We welcome Boris Johnson in Kyiv, the first G7 leader to arrive in Ukraine since the beginning of the large-scale war. We are strengthening our union of democracies. Be brave, like Boris. Be brave, like Ukraine. Ukrainian negotiator Mykhailo Podolyak said Mr. Zelensky and Russian President Vladimir Putin would not meet until after the country has defeated Russia in the east, which would bolster its negotiating position. We are paying a very high price. But Russia must get rid of its imperial illusions, he said according to the Interfax Ukraine news agency. People still living in towns and villages in the east have told Sky News of their fears of Russia's retreat from Kyiv. One woman dubbed her village the Shield of Mykolaiv, a key port town and shipbuilding hub of the Black Sea, which blocks Russia's road to the trading hub of Odessa. But many there remain defiant and unwilling to evacuate. Also in the east, Volunteers are signing up in the city of Barvinkov to fight on the front line. One Ukrainian battalion member there told Sky News, I look at them as people, but after the stuff they did in Bukha, they must die. 
Now in its seventh week, Russia's invasion has forced around a quarter of Ukraine's 44 million population to flee their homes. The war has turned cities to rubble and killed and injured thousands. The civilian death toll has triggered a wave of international condemnation. On Friday, at least 50 people, including children, were killed in a missile strike on a train station in the city of Kramatorsk, where thousands of people had gathered to evacuate. An immigration tribunal has overturned a cruel and morally wrong decision by the Home Office to deport a well-respected black charity volunteer who grew up in the UK. The tribunal ruled last week that Anthon L. Peku, who arrived in London when he was six years old and spent most of his life in Bristol, would have his right to a family and private life infringed if he was deported to Jamaica. The judges said deportation would mean exiling Peku, 27, from the only country he has ever known, leaving him an outsider in Jamaica. He has no family, friends or acquaintances in Jamaica. He has no recollection of the country at all. He has never been there since leaving at age two. He was schooled in the UK and completed his education in the UK from age 6 to 18 states the ruling. He has known no other country. The Home Office seeks to deport all foreign nationals sentenced to more than 12 months in jail regardless of how long they have lived in this country or if they have family or children. Officials targeted Peku for deportation after he was imprisoned for grievous bodily harm, GBH and drugs offences in 2015. The department's lawyers argued that he continued to remain a threat even after he had completed his sentence. But the tribunal said Peku, who runs a charitable barber shop for people on a low income in Bristol, did not pose a danger to society. The ruling acknowledges he had shown genuine and tangible remorse and that he had gone on to show himself to be of great worth and value by his positive actions towards others, noting he has given back to society in significant terms and in many ways. The judges remarked that deporting him would be cruel and morally wrong as it would undo his rehabilitation. One of the young people injured during the fight that led to Peku's jail sentence even wrote him a character reference, if anyone should want. Peku removed from this country it would be me but I stand with Anthonel, I am fighting for him, with hundreds of people in Bristol. Peku, whose family struggled to formalize his immigration status when he was growing up said he was glad the tribunal had recognized his deep roots in the UK and the contribution he was now making to society. I am really excited, by the decision. I can now get on with my life without having this overwhelming feeling that it could be taken away from me at any point he said. I've already done so much with my limitations I feel like I could contribute even more to the community in Bristol. He plans to expand his second combing barber shop, which raises money for the Love Bristol Church charity, so he can train disadvantaged people struggling with addiction or homelessness. If I could give someone a second chance like how I got my second chance the world would be a little bit better he said.
Official figures do not reveal how many of the 10,017 foreign-born offenders deported since 2019 under the controversial policy grew up in the UK, but one deportation flight last year included at least 10 Jamaicans who arrived as children. Many people facing deportation have children and partners in the UK. Detention Action, which works with people facing removal said half of the Jamaicans it has helped over the last five years arrived when they were under 18, with 32% under 13 on arrival. The judgment comes after a progress report into the Windrush scandal found last month the Home Office had failed to become more compassionate and couldn't determine if people with an entitlement to British citizenship had been wrongly deported as foreign criminals. Peku's plight generated widespread sympathy across Bristol. More than 90,000 people signed a petition supporting Peku and 345 people, including the Bristol mayor, Marvin Rees, wrote character references. Rees welcomed the outcome of the tribunal but said Peku should never have been put through such an ordeal. For every single victory against the system, there are hundreds of people who are being failed. We cannot afford to not learn from this he said. Peku added, I've been astonished that so many people care I can't go down the street without people asking me about my case. The Joint Council for the Welfare of Immigrants said no person who calls the UK home should face exile to a country they barely know. This government's deportation rules amount to a cruel double punishment, with people disproportionately black people torn from their families after they've already served their time said Zoe Gardner, the group's policy and advocacy manager. Peku had a difficult childhood. His mother took him from Jamaica to Antigua when he was two, then four years later to London, where his father was living. He was then put in the care of a family friend, who brought him up in Bristol. He has had no contact with his mother since she left him in the UK. He grew up thinking he was British and only discovered his immigration status was unclear when he applied for a job. Unable to find legal work, he began dealing drugs. But he got into a fight while selling cannabis in a park, which left three young people injured. While the tribunal heard his crimes were serious, the judges noted they were his first offences and he has not been in trouble since his release. They also said the initial violence did not come from Peku, adding it could be seen as excessive self-defence. Many of the people targeted by the Home Office for deportation are found by the courts to be victims of modern slavery or human trafficking or have fears of persecution if they are returned. Government research shows nearly three-quarters of people subject to enforced returns raise concerns that prevent their deportation. Deportations of foreign-born offenders have been in long-term decline since 2012, with 1,977 people deported in 2021. A Home Office spokesperson said all claims were fully considered and decided upon before removal and people would not be removed where there were outstanding claims or concerns. This government puts the rights of the British public before those of dangerous criminals.
and we're clear that foreign criminals should be deported wherever it is legal and practical to do so they said. Council worker leaks sex offenders address to pedo hunter gang, then angry mob turns up at his home. A heavily pregnant council worker led pedophile hunters to a sex offender's home after leaking his address online. Chloe Carr told the anti-pedophile group the sex offender deserves all he gets but asked the group not to reveal she had passed on the confidential information. This led to a 30-strong angry mob turning up outside his new home and threatening to kill him and burn down the house, Hull Live reports. As a result of Carr's unprofessional actions, the sex offender was hurriedly moved to a new address. Hull Crown Court heard her actions were not a public service at all because they destabilized convicted criminals and risked making them unpredictable. Carr, 23, of Taylor Avenue, Cottingham, East Yorkshire, admitted unlawfully disclosing private data to an online website without consent. However, she denied misconduct in public office as a customer service advisor for Hull City Council by abusing the public's trust and disclosing confidential and personal data between June the 4th and the 2nd of July 2020 and that charge was dropped. Charlotte Baines, prosecuting, said that Carr, who was working from home because of the pandemic, was employed at the time by an agency to work for the city council and to help direct members of the public to assistance that might be available. There was a work chat group in which she could have contact with colleagues. Another worker sent a message to the group saying that a call had been received from a convicted sex offender, who had contacted the council's customer services team asking for a food parcel to be sent to him. He had been placed into emergency accommodation because his details had been put on Facebook. The address of where he would be living was shared by the chat group but Carr sent details of it to a Hull-based anti-pedophile group. Carr, who asked the online pedophile hunters to keep her anonymous after sharing his address, said in messages that it was disgusting that the sex offender was still in Hull and would be living near a school. The group asked if she had proof of the man's details and replied, yes, everything is 100% and confirmed that she had his street address. She told them she worked for Hull City Council and there was a reply from the online group asking if she could share that address with them. Carr sent a screenshot of the sex offender's address and said, this can't come back to me due to my work. The pedophile hunters asked her for the number of the house. She told the online group that it was so wrong to put the man there and added, I don't believe in it. I will look now. The group then said, thank you so much and that details would be going online shortly. She replied, please don't mention it's come from the council because records were kept and it might come back to me because of the disclosure. Miss Baines added. The defendant made it abundantly clear that she worked for Hull City Council and the information needed to be kept anonymous. The sex offender contacted the police at 6.40pm to say he had received the food parcel from the council but people were trying to break into his property. He had been warned to get out now or they would kill him and burn down the property by 30 people in the mob outside.
the group contacted Carr on Facebook Messenger at 7.19pm to thank her for her information and to say that the sex offender had been moved from the house. Carr replied, I am so happy. He is bloody awful. Happy to have helped everyone. The pedophile hunters continued to contact her in the following days, with further messages about the sex offender. Police later identified Carr as being involved in the chats after they realized that there was a problem. The force went to her home in Anlaby and seized two laptops. She told police when a colleague shared details of the sex offender she was quite angry because she was pregnant and after someone in her chat group said something needed to be done, she took it upon herself to contact the anti-pedophile group and to supply further details. However, she said that she knew it was wrong said Miss Baines. She was kicked out of the works chat. She wasn't allowed to return to work, one assumes. Helen Chapman, mitigating, said that the sex offenders that Carl had been referring to were people who had been before the courts, had been found guilty or sentenced and had done their time and come out of prison. These groups exist on Facebook in order to whip up a frenzy said Miss Chapman. Carl was heavily pregnant at the time and the messages were exchanged just a fortnight before her son was born in July 2020. The offence was short-lived but persistent and Carr was in something of a vulnerable position at the time because the boy's father had left her after she told him that she was pregnant. It didn't help that she was working from home said Miss Chapman. Carr was now on universal credit and child benefit. She is just beginning to look for work said Miss Chapman. Carr had no previous convictions. Judge Mark Berry said that the offence might not have happened if there had been a little bit more supervision of Carr and she had not been working from home. He said the decision not to proceed with a prosecution under the more serious misconduct in public office offence had been taken after a thorough review by a number of different people for the prosecution but it meant that the maximum penalty for the lesser offence that Carr now faced was a fine and not prison. You are very lucky about that said Judge Berry. The offence that you have committed is, in my view, a very serious one that would have carried a sentence of imprisonment. He told the court, I would have locked her up. Judge Berry said it was not for Carr or anyone else to pass comment and say that the man involved deserves all he gets and he's bloody awful. The person had to be rehoused again and it led to problems in rehabilitating such people and destabilizing them, risking them becoming more unpredictable and committing offenses. This is not a public service at all said Judge Berry. They had done their punishment. It wasn't for you to give their details out. He added that it did not take much imagination to work out what the anti-pedophile group were planning to do. He said, the problem that this causes is that it destabilizes offenders. It makes them unpredictable and more likely to commit offenses that everyone else is trying their hardest to prevent them from doing. It's not doing a public service at all. It's a huge disservice. I am quite satisfied that you knew what you were doing because you said you didn't want your name to be mentioned because you would be sacked, which, of course, 
you were. I hope this has been a lesson. If you work in the public sector again, you just have to remember that you have a grave responsibility with public details. You thought you were helping. You were not. Carr was fined £500, to be paid at £50 a month. After the hearing, she left the court building giggling and joking loudly with two supporters and headed straight across the road and into the pub opposite the court. NATO to station permanent force on eastern flank Stoltenberg. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg has said that the bloc will deploy a permanent full-scale military force on the eastern flank to deter Russia. The move comes in response to Moscow's military campaign against Ukraine. In an interview published by The Telegraph on Saturday, Stoltenberg explained that the US-led military bloc has been focused on a very fundamental transformation in order to better reflect the new reality in Europe. We have now asked our military commanders to provide options for what we call a reset, a more longer-term adaptation of NATO he said, adding that the decisions on the matter are expected at the bloc's summit in Madrid, Spain in June. Stoltenberg said last month that the alliance had 40,000 troops under direct command mostly in Eastern Europe. The bloc's individual members are supplying Kiev with weapons, ranging from anti-tank and anti-aircraft missile systems to tanks and armored fighting vehicles. Moscow has repeatedly stated that it views NATO's expansion eastward as a threat to its security and listed Ukraine's aspirations to join the bloc one day as one of the reasons for launching its offensive. Moscow wants Ukraine to officially declare itself a neutral state. Russia attacked the neighboring state in late February, following Kiev's failure to implement the terms of the Minsk agreements signed in 2014, and Russia's eventual recognition of the Donbas republics of Donetsk and Lugansk. The German and French brokered Minsk Protocol was designed to regularize the status of the regions within the Ukrainian state. Kiev says the Russian offensive was completely unprovoked and has denied claims it was planning to retake the two republics by force. New chemical plant blast reported in Donbas. A holding tank containing hazardous materials has been destroyed at a chemical plant in the Lugansk People's Republic. LPR, town of Rubejnoye, both local and Kiev appointed officials said on Saturday. The blast comes days after a similar incident occurred at the facility amid the ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Today, once again, a tank with nitric acid was blown up on the territory of the Zeroya chemical plant in the town of Rubejnoye which resulted in a release of toxic substances into the environment the LPR's militia said in a statement, accusing Ukrainian nationalist units of using terrorist tactics against the civilian population and destroying infrastructure. The incident has been confirmed by the Kiev-nominated governor of Lugansk, Sergei Gaydai. However, he blamed the blast on artillery shelling by the orcs a derogatory term commonly used in Ukraine to describe forces of the Donbas republics and the Russian military. Nitric acid is dangerous if inhaled, swallowed and in contact with skin and mucous membranes. Acid fumes are irritating to the respiratory tract Gay Day I said in a Facebook post. 
Footage circulating online shows a large plume of pinkish vapor emerging from the site after the blast. The new release of nitric acid at the Zeroya plant comes days after a similar incident at the facility. On Tuesday, another tank also apparently containing nitric acid exploded at the plant, sending a large toxic plume into the air. The LPR and Ukraine also blamed that incident on one another, while both sides warned of the potential impact on the local population. It was not immediately clear, however, whether anyone was harmed by either incident. Moscow sent troops into Ukraine in late February following Kiev's failure to implement the terms of the Minsk agreements signed in 2014, and Russia's eventual recognition of the Donbas republics of Donetsk and Lugansk. The German and French brokered Minsk protocol was designed to give the breakaway regions special status within the Ukrainian state. Russia has since demanded that Ukraine officially declare itself a neutral country that will never join the US-led NATO military alliance. Kiev insists the Russian offensive was completely unprovoked and has denied claims it was planning to retake the two republics by force. Russia accuses Ukraine of barbarism. The Russian Foreign Ministry has called on Western nations to stop supplying Ukraine's armed forces with weapons in the wake of a missile attack on a train station in the city of Kramatorsk that killed dozens of civilians on Friday. The ministry has requested that the international community make an unbiased assessment of the actions of the Ukrainian forces and stop supplying them with weapons, as well as urge Kiev to abandon unacceptable fighting methods. Earlier, Moscow accused the Ukrainians of being behind the attack that has claimed the lives of 50 people, including five children, according to the latest assessments provided by both sides. Western leaders have accepted Kiev's position that Russia is to blame. Kramatorsk is a city in the northern part of the Donetsk region and is claimed by the Donetsk People's Republic as part of its territory. When hostilities broke out in eastern Ukraine in the wake of the 2014 Maidan, the city remained under Kiev's control. The Ukrainian army that employs Tarkayu ballistic missiles, similar to the one that hit the central train station in Kramatorsk, the foreign ministry added, repeating the claims made earlier by the Russian defense ministry. The Russian military also said earlier that it had pinpointed the location from which the missile had allegedly been launched. According to defense officials, it came from the town of Dobropol, which is located southwest of Kramatorsk and has been under the control of Ukrainian forces. The foreign ministry has denounced the attack as a barbaric act of aggression and said that it only proves Russia had been right to launch its military operation to protect the two Donbas republics it had earlier recognized. The attack on Kramatorsk also closely resembles another missile strike that killed 17 people in the city of Donetsk in mid-March, it has added. We are convinced that the Kiev authorities will not escape justice the ministry's statement said. Kiev has accused Russia of being behind the strike in Kramatorsk, claiming it was a deliberate attack on civilians fleeing the conflict. President Volodymyr Zelensky has called it another example of Russia's evil that knows no boundaries.
Some Ukrainian officials had initially claimed the station was hit by a Russian Iskander missile. However, images of a fragment of a Tarkayu were taken at the scene and later surfaced on social media. Certain Western nations have already pledged more military support to Ukraine in the wake of the Kramatorsk attack. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced on Friday that London would send Ukraine additional military aid worth $130 million, including more Starstreak anti-aircraft missiles and 800 anti-tank missiles. The attack shows the depths to which Putin's vaunted army has sunk Johnson has told a news conference after meeting with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz in London. It is a war crime indiscriminately to attack civilians, and Russia's crimes in Ukraine will not go unnoticed or unpunished he has added, without providing or citing any evidence. Moscow launched a large-scale offensive against Ukraine in late February following Ukraine's failure to implement the terms of the Minsk agreements signed in 2014, and Russia's eventual recognition of the Donbas republics in Donetsk and Lugansk. The German and French brokered protocols had been designed to regularize the status of those regions within the Ukrainian state. We hope that you have enjoyed our podcast. We thank you for your support. We hope to see you again next time.